Study Bible is turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, and you get the privilege today of starting a new chapter. We don't do that very often. Uh, we go uh, pretty slow when we go through a book of the Bible, so we get to start a new chapter. It's a very good chapter to start with a very overlooked and obscure passage that we get started out here. I, I think that there's not too many people that would preach verses 1 through 12, because, and I'll say this, here's the reason why not too many preachers preach this. Because if they're preaching through it, their eyes are, are going to go to verse 13, one of the great passages in the New Testament, where Peter makes a great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I can't wait to preach that next week. I kept, my eyes kept going there. I wanted to go there. And, and, and this is an easy passage to overlook. But we can't miss this passage. We can't overlook it. We, we have to study this. Because I believe this passage here today is going to show us exactly what's wrong with our world that we're living in today. And I think everybody in here can look around and say, yes, our world has some major problems. What's the problem? What's wrong? And what can we do to fix it? And I, I titled the sermon, because this is what this passage teaches us today, is that our world is a very dark world. So the title of the sermon this morning is, A World That's in Darkness. So we're living in a world that is very dark. And I'm going to give you the, the, the final conclusion to the sermon today. What does a world that's in darkness need more than anything else in the world? They need light. And Jesus is the light of the world. They need Jesus. So let's stand together. I'm going to preach to you this morning. A world that is in darkness. And we're living in that world. I'll show you some evidence of it in just a few minutes. But we are living in a world of darkness. Let me read this passage to you. It's going to be two, 12 verses in two sections, starting in verse 1. And you'll see the darkness in both sections. When I say darkness, I mean a, a darkened understanding, darkened heart, a darkened wheel, dark actions. Starting in verse 1, it says, The Pharisees also and the Sadducees came and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered, this is Jesus, answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather. Today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. O wicked and adulterous generation, seek it after a sign. And there shall be no sign given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. I would underline that. That's key to this passage. Verse 5. Almost seems like a completely different scene, but it's not. And when the disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread with them. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? These are the seven loaves of the four thousand. How many baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is a very important passage. As we're going to see two groups in darkness. And how Jesus shines light for one and not for the other. Uh, so let's go ahead and pray together and we'll look at a world in darkness. Father, we thank you uh, for these little obscure, overlooked passages. So that as we go through a study in the book of the Bible, we get to see them. We get to study them. We get to see how important they are. And today you're going to show us what's wrong with our world. And there's so many things that are wrong, but this is the main thing. Our world is in darkness. And it needs light. And God, even in this church today, our minds can be darkened. 
We could, we could be without understanding. We need the light of your Holy Spirit, the illuminating power of your Spirit, to enlighten us, to help us understand what we're looking at today. So I pray that you give that to me. I pray that you give that to everybody in here. By ourselves, we can't understand it. The flesh cannot perceive these truths. We need your power. We need your spirit. So help us. You know, there may be somebody in here who's lost, or somebody who, online who is an unbeliever. And God, they cannot see their sin, who they really are. They cannot see uh, the judgment to come. They cannot see the Savior who went to the cross and died for sin unless you open their eyes and enable them to see. Yeah. So I pray by the power of your spirit and by the gospel that we preach that you would open eyes today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the scariest things in the world, and, and I think you have kids who know this, is darkness. My kids are all scared to death of the dark. They would admit that, especially my boys. They'd never admit that. But every night before we go to bed, uh, Emma will come and get me. It'll be pitch black in our house, and she'll come and get me and grab me and say, Daddy, will you take me to bed? And I have to grab her, and she won't even let me grab her by the hand. She, she wants me to pick her up and to carry her to bed because she's scared of the dark. It's a scary thing. And you say, well, that's, that's just kids. We get older, and we're not too scared of the dark anymore. That's not true either. Put yourself out in the woods with no light, nothing in the, nothing at all, and you're going to be hearing every sound and everything, everything going on around you, and you too will be scared to death of the dark. Darkness is a very scary thing to every single one of us. I know it as a dad. As I walk back to, to bed at night, and I know that there's going to be Legos in the floor, and you're trying to get through it without stepping on something, darkness can be a, a very scary thing. Physical darkness can be a very scary thing. But you know what's even scarier than a physical darkness? More fearful than a physical darkness is what the Bible calls a spiritual darkness. Because our world isn't physically dark. There's light everywhere. There's light all over us. You go into a city and light is shining everywhere. You, you, we have lights all over the place. But our world is spiritually dark. It's not an enlightened world. It's a darkened world that we live in. In Genesis chapter 1, when God created the heavens and the earth, He said, let there be light, and there was light. And there was light across the world. And in Genesis 3, when we sinned, when Adam and Eve fell, darkness fell over the face of the deep. Darkness fell all over the world. They had a darkened mind. They had darkened hearts. They had a darkened will. They were in darkness now. The Bible says it's universal. Spiritual darkness is far worse and far scarier than any, any physical darkness. The Bible characterizes our nature that runs deep into our very core. From the time that we're born, we are born into darkness. Isaiah 59 10 describes it this way We grow for the wall like the blind. We grow as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate, desolate places like dead people. That's the world that we're living in. And if you don't believe it, look at our world. Yeah. If you don't believe what I just said, oh, Josh, the world is in, we're, we're, we're becoming more enlightened as the years go by. No, we're getting darker as the years go by. Yeah. It's getting darker and darker and darker in our world. And you need to see that. You need to understand that our world again, is not in physical darkness. It is in a great spiritual darkness. It's heavy over our world right now. You say, Josh, prove it. All you have to do, and I don't have to prove it to you, turn on the news. Turn on Fox News. Turn on MSNBC. Turn on CNN. Turn on your social media and read what's going on in our world. I can give you just the, the headlines. You want the headlines? Watch this. There are rioting in our streets. 
Cities are burning in front of us. It looks like war zones. There's anarchy across our nation. Our world is in spiritual darkness. Sexuality is being stretched to the limits and beyond. They're parading it in front of us every day. The LGBT movement is on our TVs. It's in our movies. It's in our music. They're parading it in our streets and making it where we should and we must accept it or they will, they will uh, get rid of us, call us all kinds of names. Boys, they say, can't marry boys. And girls, they say, can't marry girls. And boys can become girls. And girls can become boys. We're living in a world of spiritual darkness. Yeah. Abortion is at numbers we've never seen before. They'll shut down churches and they'll leave abortion clinics open. Thousands upon thousands of babies are slaughtered in America every single day. We're living in a world of spiritual darkness. That's right. Our nation used to be a nation where that had Christian values. We were founded on Christian principles, and we were one nation under God. Now the national religion of America is atheism and agnosticism. We live in a world where people don't believe in God, where they don't know what they believe about God. We are no longer living in a Christian nation. Our nation is in spiritual darkness. And get this. They're shutting churches down. The only source of light in our world. And they're closing the doors on it. Trying to make it darker. So they cannot see the light. We're living in a nation and in a world of spiritual darkness. That's what we're living in. And that's what Jesus is showing us here, is that the world is going to be dark. He he wants us to know that. He wants us to expect that. This whole section of Matthew, from Matthew chapter 13, when he talked about the, the, the parable of the souls, he's been giving us explanation after explanation and example after example of what the disciples are going to run into when they go out into the world. He wants them to know that. Teaching them, this is what you'll find. This is the mission field. And for three chapters, I think he's given us about ten examples of here's what you're going to run into. There's going to be hard ground. There's going to be ground that accepts it and then doesn't anymore. There's going to be good ground. Here's all these souls. And we come down to the, the, the very last example of what we're going to see in the world. And he gives us two groups. And both of these groups, you're going to look at them and say, they, they seem so different. But they're actually a lot like. Two groups, as you see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees on one hand, and the disciples on the other. And you'll see, as Jesus explains it, that they're both in the dark, they both can't see, they both can't understand, but in the end, one does and one doesn't. Jesus sheds light for one group and leaves one group in darkness. He shows us exactly what we have in our world. There are groups who are hopeless in their darkness. And then there's a small little group of twelve that Jesus shines light on. And he's showing us the same thing. You are the light of the world in the midst of a very dark world. And the difference is, and I'm going to say this repeatedly, it's on repeat today, over and over and over, the difference between those who are in the dark and those who are in the light is Jesus Christ. So let's look at this today. I want to give you two points. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I really don't. There's some, I must be getting sick. 
This is week number two, but I've only had two points. So uh, we're going to have to maybe check my temperature as we leave here today. I don't know. Somebody has to get a Q-tip and go on my toes. I don't know. But I have two points for you today because we have two groups. I'm going to show you those who are left in the darkness and those who have light in the darkness. That's your two points today. So looking at verses 1 through 4, I'm going to show you those who are left in the darkness. And it says in verse 1, and we have the two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that come walking up to Jesus. And immediately you need to notice that these Pharisees and these Sadducees are teamed up together. The, these, and these, these and you, you may not know this, but these two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, are sworn enemies. Yes, amen. They hate each other. They're almost like, and when you see that, when you see it repeatedly, Pharisees and Sadducees, one group of Pharisees is self-righteous rule keepers, and the other one is, is the opposite end of the spectrum. They're self-indulgent rule breakers. And they hate each other. They're always at each other's throats. I mean, they, they could be more separated. They're almost like the Republicans and the Democrats. That's how bad they are. Or, if you want to go even deeper, it's almost like the, the Pam Wildcats and the Clintonwood Greenway. <laughs> you really want to go old school. I mean, that, that was the robber. Let's not talk Duke North Carolina. Let's talk Pam and Clintonwood. That's what, that's what these two groups are. I mean, they, they hate each other. And here they come together walking up to Jesus. How can you get two groups that hate each other coming together? How does that happen? Unless they both hate the other more than they hate each other. So that's what they're doing here. Their mutual hatred for Jesus, their common enemy, has brought them together. And they come walking up to Jesus. And look what they ask him. This is it says they come to test him. They came and tempted him. That word tempting is, is they tested him. So they're not coming with an open heart. They're not, they're not genuine. They're, they're not seeking. They've come to test. The word test is to trip him up. They've come to do what Satan did in the wilderness and tempt Jesus. They're trying to embarrass him. It's evil what they're doing. And they ask Jesus, look what they ask him. Would you please show us a sign from heaven? Would you please, and with the sign there, would you please do a miracle? Would you please perform a miracle for us? And not just any miracle, but a miracle, if you're noticing it there, a miracle from heaven. They didn't want those earthly miracles that Jesus was doing. No, they didn't like those. They didn't, earthly, it's earthly to, to feed the thousands. That, that, that's earthly. We don't like earthly miracles. Anybody can do an earthly miracle. We didn't like these healings. We didn't like these raising the dead. That's all down here on the earth. We want a miracle that's not earthly. We want a miracle that's heavenly. We want one in the skies. We want you to, to write, I am uh, the Messiah. I am the Christ in the sky. So we'll really know I mean, how blind do you have to be that Jesus has fed the thousands, he's raised the dead, he's healed the sick, and they can't see it. They need more. Make the sun stand still, Jesus. Rearrange the stars so that it spells, I am God. Do something super. Uh, perform some fireworks in the sky. That's what they're asking for here. Unbelievable. It shows just how blind they are. Just how darkened their understanding is. That Jesus has done all of these things, an absolute massive amount of miracles, and it wasn't enough for them. Jesus had done miracles 
from heaven. When he got baptized, there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Amen. That wasn't enough. Fed the thousands, that's not enough. Raise the dead, that's not enough. Heal the sick, that's not enough. Cast out demons, that's not enough. Walk on water, that's not enough. Calm the storm, that's not enough. We need more. It shows us that evidence isn't the problem. He's given them all the evidence in the world. Evidence isn't the problem. Darkness is the problem. Yeah. Jesus has given enough evidence that a blind man can see. Yeah. But they are so dark in their understanding, in their minds, in their hearts, that they can't accept it. Give us more. An unbelieving heart will never accept the evidence no matter how much you give it. Amen. You can have the greatest sermon. I mean, you don't even understand that. You can get up here and you can preach the greatest sermon that's ever, ever been preached. And Jesus did that. Amen. And you can sit there and think, oh, that's gullible. I mean, that has to get them. They have to believe that. But an unbelieving, darkened heart will not. No matter how good the sermon is. No matter how good the music is. Oh, we think all that way. Let's play it a little bit softer. Yeah. Let's, let's work up some emotions. Let's get them to come forward. That'll get them. Not in their darkened minds. We won't get them. For people in the dark, the evidence is never enough. Amen. So when they say this to Jesus and they ask for a sign, Mark 8 says, and you don't have to turn there, but it's the same story that Jesus sighed deeply. It's almost like he was frustrated. He said, really? All I've done is you're asking for another one. Here's what he says. And he answered and said unto them, When it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. He kind of gives them a parable here. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. You see that? And he says, you guys are real good at predicting the weather. He says, you guys can look out and interpret. You can interpret the sky. You can look out and say, and this is a, the old saying, you can look up and say, Dad told me this is what I had no idea. So you riding down the road and we were looking at the sky. And she looked at me and she said, red at night, sailor's delight. Red in the morning, sailor's morning. I'm like, where did that come from? So, you know, where did you hear that at? And she's sitting there reading the sky, interpreting. There's a storm on the way. We're going to get rain today. We're going to get rain tomorrow. He looks at him and says, you guys are great at predicting the weather. You're great at discerning the weather. You can see if rain's coming tomorrow. I think we're all good weathermen. But he says, you can predict the weather, but you have no idea what's going on right in front of you. They're better at meteorology than theology. He says, you can read the sky better than you can. The sign standing right in front of you. Amen. That's how blind and darkened they were. They couldn't discern the sign of the times. They couldn't see what was right in front of them. I mean, there he was. They missed the obvious. It was crystal clear. As bright as the day, flashing lights. I mean, there it is. You, you want a sign. Here's your sign. Over and over and over. A supernatural birth. I mean, there it is. And they couldn't see it. A sinless life where nobody could find a fault in him. There he is. He is who he says he is. Man. Supernatural miracles right in front of you. Here he is. Ding, 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 ding. Jesus is the one. Amen. You can discern the skies, but you can't see the sign that I am who I say I am. 
And Jesus shows us here. And I thought I'd apply this. You're saying, you know, what does this have to do with me? We would never be like that. That's what Jesus is showing us here. It's easy for people to miss the obvious. We live in this world that we're living in, where I just listed so many things that are so darkened. And we can discern, get this, this is good. We can easily discern the politics of our world. Republicans and Democrats, I bet they're up to this, and I bet they're up to that. I mean, all these conspiracies that we come up with. I can discern that. I can figure that out. We can figure the science out. I think this pandemic has made everybody scientists and doctors. This is real. This isn't real. This is right. This isn't right. And we've got all these opinions and all these thoughts, and everybody has become an expert on everything. That's what he's saying here. You, you can tell, you can, you can figure out the weather, but you can't see the signs like that's right in front of you. And that's our world right now. We know politics, we know science, we know medicine, we know it all, but we can't see what God is doing right in front of us. We're missing the whole point of this. You say, what is the whole point? Turn with me to Matthew 24. Just a second. I've got two points today, so I can really make these two points. Very drawn out. But watch what he says. And I just want to give you a few verses to prove my point. And as he said upon the Mount of Olives, verse 3, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and there shall be pestilences, and earthquakes and diverse places. places. And all these things are just the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they. You, you ready for this? We're seeing a lot of verse 8. And you know what's coming next? Do you know what's coming next? You say, no way, Josh. Do you not see the signs that's right in front of your face? Do you know what's coming next? They shall deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall kill you. They shall be, you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And that then many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. I'll stop there. I can tell you to 2 Thessalonians 2 and tell you that there will be an increase in lawlessness, anarchy. I can tell you to 2 Peter chapter 2 that says there's going to be many that turn away from the faith. There's going to be many that leave the church never to come back again, abandoning their faith that they always held on to. All this right in front of our eyes, right in front of our faces, and we go on like it's not happening. We're missing what God is doing while watching the world go round. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, do you not see what God is up to? Do you not see? It's almost like the church today is in darkness. We go on. We just want life to get back to normal. We need to be discerning the times. Yeah, yeah. Not discerning politics. Not discerning the best. 
Not discerning the virus. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Go ahead and have your fun with that. But if you're, while you're discerning the skies and the viruses and the politics and the nations and all that's going on in the world, you need to discern what God is doing in the world right now. It's almost like we're in the darkness. So watch what Jesus does. You hypocrites. You, you can discern. I like the word discern there. You can read it. You can exposit it. You can explain it. You can look at the sky and say, this is, this is here. This is there. Clouds are moving. Not like the meteorologists we have today. I love the way they do things now. 50% chance of rain. <laughs> if it rains, they're right. If it doesn't rain, they're right. I need that job. <laughs> I don't think we have any meteorologists in here, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Hit one and go, right? <coughs> and watch what Jesus does. It's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a son. <laughs> wicked, evil people. Dark people. You can't see the signs right in front of their face. And Jesus says, No, she does me no sign, give it unto you. I like this. It's no sign will be given. Nothing. I'm not giving you anything. I refuse. He knows the hearts. He knows that they're not there for genuine seeking. He knows they're not really wanting to hear from him and see a sign. He knows that they're trying to, to embarrass him. He says, no, you're not getting one. And the only sign that you'll get, you hear he says, the only sign that, that, that you will receive from me is the sign of the prophet Jonah. He said, what is the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah, if you want to go back to Matthew 12, he says the sign of Jonah is that he's going to be in the ground for three days and resurrected on the third day. Is a sign of the resurrection that Jesus will be resurrected from the dead. That is the greatest miracle. That is the greatest sign that one came back from the dead and, and is alive today. That is the greatest sign. That's what the world needs to know. And it's a, the flashing sign to the world. No other religion has a resurrected Savior. Amen. The world needs to hear of the resurrection. Amen. That's the sign. That's what we preach. A, a Savior who died, who was buried, and who was risen again. That's who we preach. Yeah. The world needs to hear that sign. That's the sign I'll give you, he says. And when he does it, you know what these Sadducees and Pharisees do? They make up a story that didn't happen. The biggest, brightest sign that anybody could ever see. And they say, let's, let's tell them that even that they hadn't stole the body. And there's so many people that are refusing that sign even today. It's a world of darkness. I'll give you a couple of illustrations. Woody Allen, you guys know who Woody Allen is. He said, if only God would give me some clear sign. Like making a large deposit in my name in the Swiss bank. It's mocking God, is not Darkness. Voltaire, a French atheist, said this. Even if a miracle should be wrought in the open marketplace before a thousand sober witnesses, I would rather mistrust my senses than admit that there was a miracle. Dark. The world of darkness. Watch what Jesus does. You may not think this is important, but it is. And he left them. And departed. Two times he says he walks away. He abandons them. 
the lie leaves. And he leaves them in their spiritual darkness. He's done. It's a, this, is a, this is a dramatic walk away. This isn't just, okay, we're done talking. No, this is Jesus turning his back on the Sadducees and the Pharisees and walking away from them for good. This is Jesus saying, you will be left in permanent darkness. I'm done. Let me give you this and I'm going to move to the second point. But there's different levels of darkness in our world. And I think we're all at level three. Let me give them to you. There's a, a darkness that is natural, and we're all born into it. We're born with darkened understanding, with darkened hearts. That's naturally dark. And then there's a sinfully darkened, in that man loves darkness more than light, and they will stay in their sin. That's all of us. As, as, as babies get older, you start to see that they, they sin because they are sinners. And they love their sin. And they eat it up in their sin. They're like pigs in the mud. They're, just, they're eating it up. They, they love their sin. The world loves their sin. And then there's a satanic darkness that the God of this world blinds their eyes. And that is everybody that's an unbeliever. They all have those three things. They're born with it. It's natural. It's sinful. And that they love it. And that Satan has blinded their eyes. That's what we're dealing with with the world. That's what we're dealing with as we, as we try to go out of the world with the gospel. Jesus is saying, here's what you're going to run into. People that are, get this, naturally blinded, simply blinded, and they are satanically blinded. And you think you can talk them into getting saved? And then here's the, the fourth level, where they are sovereignly blinded. Where Jesus leaves them in darkness and they now have no hope. That is almost the worst place you can be. Yeah. You say, almost? That you're in blindness in the world, spiritual blindness, and there's no hope of you ever seeing. The gospel is not going to open your eyes. Jesus is done with you. There's no more chance, no more hope. And you say, there's worse? Get this. There's also an eternal blindness. Yeah. Where when you die, you're cast into outer darkness. That's the worst place to be. And right now, these Sadducees and these Pharisees are left in their blindness. So that's the first point. That's sober. You guys look, at, you guys look sad. Yeah, watch this. So that is a sad point. We're leaving them in your parts. So I want to go from those who are left in the dark to those who are given light in the darkness. And that's point number two. And we're moving along pretty well. You guys are sitting there thinking, yes, we're going to go get out of here quick. And everybody know better than that. So point number two, those who are have light in the darkness. And that's this second section. And you say, how do these two, th two things connect? I want to show you that. Because in verse 5, you're going to see the light in the darkness. It says, and when his disciples have come to the other side, they have forgotten to take bread. So Jesus walks away, and his disciples walk away with him. And they get on a boat, and when they get on the boat, they have one responsibility. One job, one role, one thing to do. They're following behind Jesus. Jesus said, okay, you guys have one job. When we get on the boat, I want you to bring some bread, just in case you get hungry. And they get on the boat, they look at each other, and they say, who brought the bread? Uh, yeah. I didn't. 
Mark 8 says that one of them said, I've got one, one, one piece. So that one piece of bread for 12 disciples. And Jesus sees that. They're sitting there talking back and forth with each other. What are we going to do? And this is just, it's, it's ironic that Jesus had just fed thousands with, with just a few loaves of bread. And now they have 12 with one. You think Jesus can handle that? So they're sitting there worried back and forth. We've only got one piece. And we've got 12 of us. What are we going to do? And Jesus looks at them and he says, okay, this is a perfect chance to teach them a lesson. I love that. Now, uh, discipleship usually takes place not in a classroom, but in a life setting. And Jesus says, okay, this situation has come up. Let me teach you through this situation. So he says, you're sitting there talking about bread. That's not what you should be worried about. Let me tell you what to be concerned about. And he tells them, look at this. He says, here it is. Uh, this, this is he says, okay, verse 6. Then Jesus said unto them, take heed everywhere. This is a, a very strong, very serious, be on the lookout for, pay attention to what? The leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You say, what is that? What's he saying there? I think he's actually looking back. He's on the boat. He's looking back at the Pharisees and the Sadducees that he just started talking to and leaving. And he looks at his disciples and he's saying, beware the influence of people like that. Don't be like them. I do that with my kids a lot. We'll see people, we'll see kids, other kids. None of yours, obviously. <laughs> and I'll look at my boys and I'll say, don't be like that. Don't let that influence you. Amen. We'll get a whole lot of shows on TV and I'll, I'll turn it off. Why, Dad? That's a bad influence on you. Oh, it's just a little bit in the show. But a little leaven can leaven the whole loaf. So a little bit of influence can influence your whole life. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Amen. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Amen. Watch what you're watching. Watch what you're listening to. Be very careful who you let influence you. And Jesus is saying, don't be like them. That's what he's saying there. Be on the lookout for them. Stay away from them. Don't let them influence you. It's dangerous. Amen. And I, I want to tell you why. Why was Jesus being so strong? Because I already told you about the Pharisees. They were rule-keeping, self-righteous people. They were like the, the police of the Bible, of the law. And they went around with a, I can imagine them having a whistle blowing every fault and every problem that they had with everybody in every way. Who you did that wrong? 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 We don't, but you do. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Don't be self-righteous and think you're better than everybody else. Don't be the rule keepers that, that are crossing every T and dotting every I. Don't be like that. Don't be like those who add to the law and make it harder than it actually is. And that influences everywhere in Christianity. Oh, yeah. Don't be like that. Josh, don't have a church like that that puts weight on people's shoulders that they can't possibly bear. I've been around that. I've been told that. I've been talking about it a few weeks ago. All kinds of rules that are put on preachers, on preachers' wives, on preachers' kids, on people with abuse. And they look at that, I can't do that. I can't do that. And there's no freedom. There's no grace. There's no love. There's no forgiveness. That was the Pharisees. They wanted they were separatists. They just wanted them and them by themselves. 
Don't be like that. Amen. That's what he said. Don't be that. Yeah. But on the other hand, and get this, I love this. And you guys may not like it as much as I do. That's okay. You're, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a calculated thought. So, don't be like that. Too strict. But on the other hand, don't be too lean. The Sadducees were liberals. They let anything go. You can live however you want to live. Lawless. Rule breakers, not rule keepers. You had legalists, legalism, and liberalism. Live however you want to live. God's grace gracious. God will forgive. Scripture doesn't really mean that. And that is rampant in our nation. Amen. There are churches just like one of them, legalist churches, who put rules on you that there's no way you can keep. I can't keep up with all the rules I'm supposed to follow for some people. And then there are churches on the other hand, this influences everywhere, and it always has been. People always will go one way or the other. They'll be too strict or too lenient. It's like Goldilocks. That's too hot, and that's too cold. It's more hard for me to find something in the middle. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Be like Christ. Don't be like the Pharisees. And don't be like the Sadducees. Don't be too strict. Don't be too lenient. Be just right. Be biblical. Amen. Again, there's, there's churches that are so liberal out there today. I'm not talking politics. They don't believe the authority of Scripture. They don't believe it's inspired. They don't believe it's inerrant. They don't believe it's sufficient. They don't believe in, in miracles. I mean, they just let you live however you want to live, do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. That's right. They're everywhere. And it influences even our kids in this church. That, that church lets you live however you want to live. It, one, I keep going, attracts the very young. Yeah. One attracts the very old and traditional religious rule keeping. And they're both dead wrong. Yeah, man. You know what I love about where we are as a church? You don't know this. But here as a preacher in the church we, we have, we're getting shot at most of us. Yeah. We are. And I love that. That means we're in the right place. Yeah. I'll have some people on this side saying, oh, Josh is too liberal. He's too open. He's too free. He's too gracious. He's Jesus looks at his disciples and says, don't you dare be like them. I love that we preach an open gospel. Amen. 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 Let whosoever come. Yes. Amen. Come to me all you that labor heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. Yeah. But I love that as Christians, there is a way that we are supposed to live. Mm -hmm. There's a right way to live and a right way to be. And we preach that way. Man. I love that we have both ends. And we've got to be very careful. I've got to be careful. That we don't get influenced. You've got to be careful. Get this. What, who you let your kids listen to? The church that you go to? The preachers that you listen to? Because just a little bit of that can get into your life. And you can start going one way or the other. Yeah. You say, Josh, some sermons you preach seem very, very rule-keeping. <laughs> and some sermons you preach... Seem very, very gracious. I'm big on the grace of God. I'm big on how to live a right life. You say, how do you keep a balance? <laughs> you preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. Yeah. And let God keep you balanced. Man. 
I don't pay with shoes. Because my people shoes, I get mad at the nation sometimes. We get up here and say, here's how you live. And it'd be a whole sermon series, about 30 sermons. Balance out. Don't be like him. So he tells the disciples that. I'm going to hurry now because you should have so much of this cut me off. <laughs> so what watch this. This is good. So he says, he says in verse 6, Take heed, beware, don't be like, and then we're led, it means don't be influenced by the Pharisees and Pharisees. The Pharisees, again, being the, the legal, legalism, Sadducees being liberalism, the two sides. And the disciples hear him say that, and look, look what they do. Here's how darkened they are. And they reason among themselves. They put their heads together. They huddle up on a football team, 12 of them in a boat, they're trying to figure out what Jesus just meant. And they come up with it. This is the best our darkened understanding can come up with. Watch this. And they reason. They thought together. They put their heads together. And they uh, and they said, it is because we've taken no bread. You say, what does that mean? It means they said, Jesus doesn't want us buying bread from Pharisees and Sadducees. That's what they come up with. They thought Jesus was still talking about bread. They're sitting there saying, okay, we can't buy bread from Pharisees or Sadducees. That's what he means here. Let's write that down. It, it's almost like they're in the dark and they can't understand anything. But that's how we all do, even as believers. Unless God enlightens us, we're going to put our minds together and reason things out. And we're going to come up with some of the awfulest ideas of what Jesus has said. Some people take Mark 16 and they read it and talk about drinking poison and, and poisonous snakes. They sit there and read that and they're like, okay, I bet that that means we need to pick up snakes ourselves. No! That's not what that means. Some people can read and say, a pastor should be a husband of one wife. And they turn that around and they say, I bet that means there could be women preachers. Just shows how dark things are. So even when they say, Ephesians 2 says that we're saved by grace, and they turn around and say, I bet God needs my help. I, I need to be good. I need to be moral. I need to do some right things. I, I need to help him out. Meet him halfway. That's what grace means. We come up with some of the awfulest ideas in the darkness of our understanding, and unless he aligns us, we'll never understand Scripture. We'll go with all kinds of wonky ideas. I don't know why I said the wonky. <laughs> That's so Where'd that word come from? <laughs> so they reasoned among themselves. They tried to figure it out themselves. And they couldn't. And in verse 8, I've got to hurry now. And when Jesus perceived, he saw them talking, and he says, Oh, you little faith. He says, You knuckleheads. <laughs> what? 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 I mean, that's, that's where he's at there. What in the world? I mean, what are you doing? He says in verse 9, don't you understand? I mean, don't you get it? Why reason ye among yourselves because you have brought no bread? What is that? That's foolishness. That's not what I meant. And Mark 8, he says, I'm going to read it to you. You don't have to turn there. He says in verse 17, Why reason ye? Because ye have no bread. Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? And get this, having eyes, don't you see? What are you in darkness? There's sometimes you look at people and what they believe, and you say, What are you? Blind? I have that all the time happening to me. They'll come and tell me all kinds of just crazy things. I told you the story one time about the lady in my office. Her and her husband came up there, and 
I don't know why she came. She was there and she said, I'm a pastor. And I said, shouldn't have probably. No, I probably shouldn't have. I said, really? <laughs> Show me that in Scripture. And I handed her a Bible. So we're just saying that's, that's okay. And she said, no, 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 no. You have to have a King James Version for the first to say that. And I said, well, mine's KJV right there on it. I said, so show it to me. Well, I can't do that right now. And I said, well, I'll show you where it's because you can't. I mean, I was bullshit, though. <laughs> then, I'm being serious. I, I said, well, here it is. It's a black and white. And some red. I mean, right there in front of you. You'd have to be blind enough to see that. You have darkened understanding. Oh, you little faith. I didn't call her up. Go ahead. But I could have. And her husband just sit back there. And seriously, I mean, I've got, I've got people that can, can attest that this is true. She called me an unbeliever. And she cursed me out in tongues. And you said, how do you know? Well, if it wasn't cursed, we're going to what it was. She was angry. Walking down through here, just, just give it to me. And I was just, here it is. I mean, it is right in front of our face. I mean, there, I mean there's, there's no way around it. The scripture says, the scripture says. How can you not see that? Maybe I don't understand what Jesus is teaching here. That there can be times, and it's often, that our understanding is so dark that we can't see what's right in front of our faces. Yeah, that's right. There's people sitting in church today that you're sitting here hearing the sermon, and it's not because I'm unclear. It's because you're in the dark. What is he talking about? What is this? People walking all the time. I have no clue what that is. Maybe it's me. Possibly it's you. I think God can take a bad sermon and take the light of the Holy Spirit and illuminating power and open people's eyes to you. It doesn't have to be a good sermon to get across to you. So they don't understand. They're darkened. Their minds can't understand. He even says that in verse 9 and in Mark 8. He says, oh, what, are you blind? Let's keep reading. Neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets we took up. Don't you remember the seven loaves and the four thousand and how many baskets you took up? Sure they remember. It just happened. Jesus is saying, if I wanted to take that one piece of bread, and I could turn it into meals for all twelve of us. If I wanted to, that's not what I'm talking about. And then he gives an explanation. And this is the difference. With the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he would stop in verse 10 and walk away left in the dark. But in verse 11, Jesus does for them what he didn't do for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. For the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he turned his back and they were left in darkness. But for the disciples, he shined a light for them. He said, here's what I mean. Look at it. He said, I'm not talking about verse 11. How is it you don't understand? I'm not talking to you about physical bread. I'm talking to you about the influence of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he patiently explains to them and helps them understand exactly <laughs> what he's talking about. He shines the light. Like he did for the disciples again on the road to Emmaus when they walked and he opened their understanding. Look what verse 12 says. Then they understood. You see that? It says in verse Nine, don't you understand? And then there's an explanation in verse 12. Oh, I get it. There's a, aha, 
Oh, I ain't a, what's a, a, a eureka moment. It's like, ah, now see, I understand. He just explained it so well. Have you ever had that happen to you when you read a passage of scripture? Like, I have no idea what that says. And then all of a sudden, whether it's the Holy Spirit guiding you or a preacher preaching to you, you say, ah, I got it now. That's what he did for them. He shined a light for them to see. And they say, I see now. See that? It's, he's not telling us to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They get it. They understand it. He doesn't want us to be influenced by them. What a, what a great light that he shines. It's like they're in the darkness on that boat, and he brings in a flashlight and says, here is what it means. And that's what preachers should be doing. Amen. Here's what it means. Not just what it says. Here's what it means, and here's how it applies. That's what a good preacher does. Here's what it says. Read it. Here's what it means. Explain it. Here's how it applies. Now go and live it. And that's what he does here. He says, here's what I said. Here's what I mean. Now, don't be influenced by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus shines light on it for them. Love that. And it's not just here that he does. He leaves the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the dark. I hope I'm not boring you guys. He leaves them in the dark. And he keeps giving his disciples more and more light. Watch this. This is Matthew 16. Watch this. I'm so ready to preach this next week, but I'm going to preach it right now. <laughs> when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, buckle up, we might be here a while. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, have? You've all heard this before. I'm getting to a place I want you to see. And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, and, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and here is the great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, that is the great confession. That is what we say as a church. And that's what we say as Christians. Every Christian says Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what we say. That is our belief. Amen. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal it unto you. It wasn't a miracle in the sky that revealed that unto you. But my Father, which is in, which is in heaven, yes. There's more light than given. Now watch this. Just, just keep going with me. I've got a few more minutes. And, and then he goes on the same chapter. And we'll keep preaching this. That's why I said this is a great chapter. We have the, the great confession that, that Peter makes. And then Jesus says in, in uh, verse 21, he, he begins to describe to them that he's going to have to go and be killed and raised on the third day. He's showing them his purpose and where he's going to. That's more light. I want to get you to chapter 17. And then he takes them up into the mountain. And there is a transfiguration of Jesus where he shows them all of his glory. I don't have to get into that story to tell you that's even more light. Yeah. And he goes, turns his back on the Pharisees and Sadducees and leaves them in the dark. And he turns to the disciples. And the rest of this next three or four chapters is all going to be him shedding light on who he is and what he came to do. For this small group. 
left them in the dark, gives them great light. Yeah. I love that. And when he leaps and ascends into heaven, before he goes, he tells them, he says, I've got to go away. But I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he will remind you of everything I've told you. The Holy Spirit will be what reveals the scripture to you. Man. I don't have time for this, but you do. First Corinthians chapter 2. Just, just turn there. I'm going to read just a couple verses. If you don't want to turn there, you don't have to. But I, I want to show you that this isn't just for them. This is, this is for us. As, as Paul's talking about this to the, to the church at, at Corinth. In verse uh, First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Watch this. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. I'm taking verse 14. But the natural man, in his darkness, in his natural darkness, in his, his sinful darkness, in his satanic, blinded eyes, darkness, natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for there is foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are, here's our word, spiritually discerned. The only way we can understand the things of God is by the Spirit of God. Yeah. So the disciples go from light to more light. The Pharisees the Sadducees go from dark to deeper into darkness. So I ask this question in closing, and, and, and we're doing not too good on time. We're, we're, we're okay. What's the difference between the first group that was left in the dark and the second group that had light in the dark. What's the difference? Was it that the disciples were just smarter than the Pharisees and Sadducees? Answer, no. Was it that the disciples knew more of Scripture than the Pharisees and Sadducees? And the answer is no. Was it that they had more education? No. These were just dumb fishermen. How in the world did they understand that these trained, elite, religious, biblical men didn't? What's the difference? <laughs> the difference is Jesus. Yeah. They had light and the other group didn't. That's the difference in the world. The only difference between those in the world who are in darkness and those in the world who are in light is that Jesus is the light of the world. And those who follow him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the only difference between us here today who understand these words, who understand how salvation is accomplished and what we have to do to be saved, the only difference between those who are out there riding and looting and, and causing a, a scene and, and us in here is that Jesus has shined the light in our lives. Man. I once, what's that song saying, Amazing Grace? I once was blind, but now I see. There's an old gospel song that says, I saw the light. I saw the light. What did Paul do? He was in the darkness and on the road to Damascus. All of a sudden, he saw a great light. That's the only difference between those who are in the dark and those who are in the light. Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Yes. I love that. In a world of darkness, Jesus is the only light of the world. So you can choose today the way of the light, every single one of us. The way of the light, 
Where your eyes are open, you see your sin, you see judgment to come, you see the Savior, what He's done for you, and you follow Him and love Him and serve Him and live for Him. You can go that way, or you can go the way of darkness, unbelief, rejection, refusal. I will not do that. I will not be like that. I will not follow Jesus. It's up to you. Which way do you want to go? The way of darkness or the way of light? And be real careful. Be real careful for choosing the light or choosing the darkness. You say, why is that? Thomas Hobbes was a famous English philosopher, an atheist, who chose the way of rejecting the light. And on his deathbed, he said, I'm about to take a leap into the dark. Voltaire, who we've already mentioned, said he would refuse any miracles that happened even right in front of him. Was about to die. He was a French atheist. And he was heard crying out by his servants, O Christ, O Christ, O Lord Jesus. And as they walked in to see what he wanted, he spoke his last words, I die abandoned by God. Same man who said, I refuse any miracle, even if it's right in front of me. He not only was born in darkness, chose darkness, and was blinded in darkness by Satan, he was sovereignly blinded by God, eternally casting out darkness. Yeah. I warn you, take heed, beware, that you not be one that's found living in darkness. Take heed, beware, that you be like Thomas Hobbes or the French atheist Voltaire. I'll give you nothing. You want one more? I've got one minute and 30 seconds. Luke chapter 16. I'll close it. You've never seen anybody preach so long, I only have two points. Luke chapter 16. You got to know this passage. Rich man Lazarus. Watch this. And there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, and he was buried. And, and in hell, he opened up his eyes. You know what that is? Finally sees the truth. And it's way too late. Yep. What would happen? Open, opens up his eyes, being in torments, torments, and see Abraham, sees Abraham far off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cries and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may just dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. There's no more hope. After death, no hope. Yeah. So the day which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can, can, can they pass to us that would come from hence. Then he said, well, this, this became his concern now. This became his concern now. 
I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wilt send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren. I have five brethren that are in darkness. I have five brethren that's going the same direction that I'm going. I, I, I have five brothers. And I don't want them. What, what happened to me to happen to them? That he may testify to them. Lest they come also to this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the truth. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one came back from the dead, they'll repent. That'll open their eyes if we just had somebody that's come back from the dead. Right? We just had the sign of the prophet Jonah, then my brothers would believe. Amen. Verse 31, he said, if they won't hear Moses and the prophet, then they won't be persuaded by one who's risen from the dead either. What do they need more than anything else? They need the light to shine in the darkness. Yeah. yeah. So if they can see their condition, they can see their Savior, they can see it's the only way of hope is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Man. And that's what I tell you today. You know what this sermon has been, and I hope it has been, it's been a big old spotlight showing you the way you're going and the way you ought to go. And may that spotlight show you today that the only way of salvation is through belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. And I urge you today, whether it's online or in this room, as we bow to pray, Pray and ask God, please, help me to see my sin for what it is. Yeah. Help me to see my Savior and what he's done for me. And help me to believe. Because without the light, I'll never see it. Yeah. Please. May you pray that today if you're in a lost condition. None of us want to go into the final stage of darkness, the outer darkness of hell. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it teaches us how to shine the light into the dark places of our lives. I could spend another point talking about how in our life you shine that light to show us our sin and what we need to confess and repent. I could spend another point telling us how we now are the light of the world and we should go out and shine our lights in the midst of a dark place. But I thank you that you show us two directions, the people that are lost in darkness and the people that have the light. May we be that people and may it shine brightly, more brighter than it ever has, because our world's getting darker than it ever has. And if there's anybody in here today who's an unbeliever in their dark, in darkness, the darkness of their sin, may you shine the light of the glorious gospel and the power of your spirit to open up blind eyes, to change darkened hearts, and may they believe today. We ask and pray these things.